0: This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour, Kane Pittman alongside Olga Nulic and we might not be ready for a fever break, but we've hit the fever break which does allow us a little bit of time on today's show to take a deep breath when it comes to the NBL and assess where we are at in the middle of November and OGS, I think that there is only one place to start when it comes to this week and it was again for the second week in a row, a massive Sunday afternoon game that had the attention of the whole league. And this time it was Melbourne, this time it was Sydney, the two teams that we think at this point in time are the benchmark in the league. And for the second weekend in a row, Melbourne United were in a position where you could have excused them if they didn't come away with a win. And At halftime, it didn't look like they were going to come away with a win. And in the end,
1: they didn't just win. They did so in emphatic circumstances. The... We, we spoke about Chris Golding last week and we're going to speak about him again this week. What he does is so heartbreaking at all times. um and oh man, we got so much to talk about and and the the we had this MVP discussion, what he did in that game against Sydney sort of just ruined my argument uh, against him as MVP and so we can chat about that. But this game was so interesting because these teams are obviously really, really good. They they are unbelievably talented, and we just we saw ebbs and flows that showed why each team could win it all. So we saw Sydney tear apart a Melbourne United defense like I don't think any team has this season so far in that first half, and they did it with a mixture of the sort of flair that they play with and the talent that they have. That was unbelievably impressive, and and they went into the half with like a considerable lead, and it looked like it was their game to lose. It, was, it looked like they were going to run away with this one. And then melbourne united stepped it up defensively they 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 looked a bit more deliberate offensively and then it came down to i think there was some sort of choppy officiating in the middle that maybe shifted the momentum but with a team like melbourne united the thing that you're going to constantly hear and it was the case this game it's been the case all season you can't give them an inch because if you're giving them an inch they're going to take a mile you give them any chance to take control of a game or take control of anything and they're absolutely going to lean into it and go downhill on you, and that's exactly what they did. Um, and it was Chris Golding at the end of the day, obviously, who just put a dagger in the heart of the Kings. Uh, I thought we saw good things from both teams, but I think warrantedly, warrantably, warrantably is the word. Uh, it worked. Melbourne United came away with the win, ten and two going to the FIBA break. They're they're the clear front runners at this point uh, in the season.
0: Oh, I love that. That is the perfect segue to the question I want to ask you because uh, we will get to Chris Golding because yeah, I think it was an interesting time to start the discussion last week about his place in the MVP conversation and we'll get to my views on that. I I have been pretty strong on it and look, timing is everything if you want to throw out a take like that and for him to come out and have the game. I'm not going to say that I wasn't happy watching that uh, from home. But the question I have for you is because I think what you take away from this game is the big talking point here. And again, we discussed this in headline or Storyline, our column that we have every Monday with uh, us two and also Peter Hawley. And the question we asked is, does this win mean that Melbourne United are clearly the benchmark? And I think me and you might be just a little bit separated on this. Now, I'm not going to push back on you and say that you should not feel like Melbourne are the benchmark because they've just... Taking care of Southeast Melbourne last week, a team that might be a challenger, severely depleted. This week, still missing multiple key players on this roster. They took down the team that we think is the second best team in the league. So I'm fine if people say that Melbourne United are clearly the favorites here. But this was a game of two halves. So my question to you is, do you forget about the 53-38 first half for the Sydney Kings and just focus on the 67-40 to domination from Melbourne in the second half? Because to me, if you're Sydney, and we can get into this a little bit more, I still think you're walking away saying, look, we lost, and that second half was disastrous. But we have enough on paper here to believe that we're right there with Melbourne, and if we get in a three-game series or a five-game series, we're not going to be intimidated by playing this team.
1: Yeah, uh, I think... Something you mentioned in in your part of, of that column was the fact that if the Sydney Kings had this over, they would make different decisions. Uh, whether it's Mahmoud Abdel Fattah calling timeouts in different spots or or some of their rotations. And I, when I speak to people around the league, it's almost like the Kings don't care about winning right now. And and not not that not that winning doesn't matter because obviously you do need to bank up enough wins to be in a, a, an advantageous position going to the playoffs, but they don't care about being the, their best version of themselves right now, and it seems really clear based on the decisions that they're making. Like respectively, I don't think Macquatch, should be hitting the floor in the fourth quarter, like the, that, And and I don't. And I think when Melbourne United went on some of their runs. I think Abel Fatah would call timeouts a bit a bit sooner. We've seen throughout this season he doesn't really call timeouts. He like he likes to let things breathe, and and I think that's something that might change come the end of the season. It just seems right now he's allowing this team to figure out who they are. And so when we look at with Sydney, I'm always pointing to the ceiling of this team when we're talking about the talent that they have up top, and then the depth that they have, and and how good some of their young players might be between now and the end of the season. When we look at a Tui, we look at a Jalen Galloway. We look at some of these guys, and I think that the Sydney Kings are just priming themselves to be really good come February. And so when I look at this this outcome and some of the decision making from the Kings, it was to a point where it, some of it was so confusing that I don't I don't believe it was I, I believe it was deliberate that not that they went out to lose this game, but they went out to sort of put their backs against the wall and make sure they were challenged in this game, no matter the result. Um, and I feel like that's where I am. That, that's why I don't think Melbourne is, is far and away because I still feel like Sydney's ceiling is right up there, if not, if not better than Melbourne's.
0: I agree. And that's why I wrote about that. And I consider that when we were writing this question because I was like, I don't, I don't want to overreact to what I was thinking in the moment, watching this game in the second half. But to me, as I've watched the Kings this year, and they've been very, very good. But they've played one way. They want to switch everything defensively. They want to play at a really fast pace. They'll get early shots up in the shot clock. And nothing really changed. And to me, we all watch enough basketball that when you've got a team that is playing the way Melbourne was playing, and all of a sudden they were in control of the tempo, and they were dominating offensively, yes, you might call a timeout. That's a very simple thing to do. But secondly, you might just say, okay, look, we've got the talent here as the Sydney Kings, whether it's DJ Hogue, they can play inside and outside. Jalen Adams, who wasn't that engaged in the game as from a scoring perspective in the first half. Denzel Valentine was on fire. We've got enough weapons here that we can play some half-court basketball. No question. And they just didn't do it. And even when yeah. they were taking very poor shots early in the shot clock while Melbourne United was on the tear, there wasn't a timeout. There was no benching of players that were taking those ill-advised shots. So I just walked away wondering whether Mahmoud, and he might listen to this If he does and think, this is just ridiculous. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But I was just watching the game wondering whether he's sitting there saying, look, this is the way we play. It's the middle of November. Let's just see if we can win this game playing our style, and we'll work out the rest later. And I do wonder, as we move into December and then January, whether we start to see some more wrinkles with this Sydney team, because they haven't had their full complement of players to this point. They do have a brand new head coach. And so I, I think maybe this is still the feeling out process of getting to know each other, getting to know this new system. And it's like, look, yeah, we might lose a game to Melbourne United in November. That's fine. We're going to play them two more times in the regular season. And we think probably in the postseason. And we'll just live with the result.
1: Yeah. So I think in the first half, I think Sydney figured some stuff out on on some of their best lineups that work against this Melbourne. It was too easy, Olgen. It was unbelievable how easy it was. Right, and and honestly, if, if Jonah Bolden doesn't get in foul trouble, they may have been able to extend that lead even more because they were causing a lot of havoc on on Melbourne United both from from running and pushing the pace, but also in the in the half court, they were doing some stuff and getting United sort of out of whack. And I've never seen United that uh, unorganized defensively against this sort of talent. Um, but then credit to Melbourne, who in the first half they were very post heavy. They they got in the habit of. And this is a habit that a bunch of teams have fallen into. When the Sydney Kings are switching everything, they think, "Oh, we must attack, attack the mismatch." And then you get you get out of your flow, yeah. and they try to feed it into the post no matter what, and that doesn't work. And we've seen this entire season that doesn't work. The Sydney Kings defend the most post ups this season because of that, because they switch everything, but they allow among the least amount of points off post ups. And so, we we that, this isn't how you attack this. And I think I think in the second half they figured out that if you just run through your stuff really diligently, you're going to get open looks because it's, it's really tough to switch against certain actions. Uh, Chris Golding coming off handoffs and things like that and trying to switch that. That's, that's where he got a lot of decent looks, looks that he shouldn't be getting. And so I feel like they figured some stuff out. And then you speak about Jalen Adams being really quiet and, and, and you, you don't bank on Jalen Adams ever really being quiet in games or this quiet. And I, but I think that's down to Melbourne United and what Shay did. And, United has, they have this thing where it's like the ultimate luxury. They just pick a guy for Shea Ely to be attached to for an entire game. And he's able to not just get an entire offense sort of out of their stuff, but he's basically able to neutralize a singular player each game. And United has the luxury of just saying, all right, we get to pick one. So the in, against Illawarra a few weeks ago, they picked Tyler Harvey. And I think Tyler Harvey had, I think he had eight shots, eight or nine shots just because Shea Ely was glued to him. This game, Ely was glued to Jalen Adams, and it was really tough for Adams to do anything, and he had single digits for the first time since I don't remember when. And that's, again, that's as much as we talk about Sydney still figuring stuff out and still just trying different things. I do think Melbourne was able to figure stuff out, especially offensively against the the very switch-heavy stuff that Sydney does, and then just defensively just having Ely continue to be just a pest in the, the head of that snake.
0: I think with Melbourne, you've got a team that is absolutely full of veterans. We've seen right throughout the broadcast, uh, you were in the building, but on the broadcast, Dali was just going crazy on the bench. with we being vocal, giving advice, talking to Shea Ely a lot, which you expect from this Melbourne United team. Uh, and then I also just found it interesting, the post-game walk-off interview, Chris Golding with Ke- uh, Kelsey Brown on the NBL broadcast, where he was saying, look, at halftime, everyone was looking at each other and calling each other out about the defensive stuff. And... At that point in time, the Kings were just walking to the basket, literally walking to the basket, and it wasn't even the guards. Like It's not like Jalen Adams was getting to floater range and knocking down those floaters. It was DJ O just on the perimeter saying, I don't really care who's in front of me. I'm just going to walk in for a layup, (laughs) Jonah Bolden, as you pointed to as well. So it was very unlike Melbourne, uh, but we saw uh, the tables turn in the second half. There's no question. If we get to... Well, actually, let me just first, uh, a quick hat tip to Denzel Valentine as well. Now, the scoring absolutely dried up in the second half. But I do remember, you know, on one of our first podcasts this season, we discussed how does Adams and Valentine work together in the backcourt in terms of who can take that ball handling responsibility? Do they mesh well together? I think we did see on a night where Jalen Adams wasn't, and maybe it was because of Shea or maybe it was just because he understood that this was a half for Denzel Valentine. But we did see that Valentine can be a guy that says, okay, now I'm going to take over. And I think he's been very unselfish to start of the season. He hasn't taken bad shots. He's been willing to facilitate. Um, and again, the second half, quiet from a scoring perspective, but still 19 points on 12 shots. He gets seven assists as well. And he's a big guard, so he's got a rebound. I think he's quietly having a fantastic season.
1: He is. And and we spoke about this when DJ Hogue was, was easing his way back in, that relying on Denzel Valentine as your second import to provide that sort of production and impact Probably not too fair, just based on like where, what he is in his career right now. But having him as your third import, you know, for us knowing how talented Jalen Adams and DJ Hogar, but to have someone like Denzel Valentine who does all of those little things, who can, who I think is a really high-level passer. Uh, that that full-court he through to McQuaide, of our watch in transition, was one of the best passes I've ever seen. Seeing that in person was unbelievable. Um, and and he's a really high level shooter as well, and so he does a lot of those connective things that I think will be important for this team. But like you said, him being able to sort of take over his stretches was cool too. And I don't know if this came across on the broadcast, but him talking smack to everybody yes. during that yes. stretch in the second quarter <laughs> was very funny because I don't think any of it was like I don't think anyone said anything to him. This this was this was completely one sided. It was he threw a beautiful pass to someone that ended up being an assistant. He would just talk smack to the bench and then he would hit a three and just talk smack to the crowd. And like, this was, no one brought this upon him, but I just, I kind of, I like that. And it felt like the, at that point I felt like the game sort of needed that too. It just needed like a bit of fire and a bit of energy. And Denzel Valentine brought that. I like what he is for this Sydney team.
0: I don't think that these two teams, well, I don't think, I'm sure they don't like each other. And I think that this is only going to build. So they play on January 4, and then they play in late January. I think it's January 28. So that's the unfortunate thing. We have to wait a while to see these two teams play. But if you think two matchups in January, and then potentially another three or another five, you're going to see these teams play maybe up to eight times in the space of two months. Let's just say that they get to game five of the grand final series. Yeah, if they don't like each other now, they're going to hate each other by the end of that grand final <laughs> series. And I just think that is so much fun. Before we move on from this game, You mentioned Chris Golding. We absolutely should talk about it. And this isn't, I I don't, yeah, whatever. Me and you debate this every week on the podcast, different things. But this was a game that was exactly what I was saying last week on the podcast. When if you talk about guys that you you can plug and play, put in different positions, and you can find guys that can shoot the three, you can find guys that can score, you can't find or replace Chris Golding. You just can't. Yeah. And in the first half, when this team was getting destroyed, the only reason they were within 15 points was Chris Golding because he was the only guy that could do anything. And some of it was just pure shot making. And don't forget, he tweaked his ankle in between his first yeah. quarter outburst and his second quarter outburst as well. So this was the perfect game to, Peru, uh, to provide a reason why, if you're in the camp that he's the most valuable player on Melbourne, this was the game to watch.
1: Yeah, I... I always find that the word to describe Chris Golding's shot making is heartbreaking Uh, because no matter how good a defense you play, uh, no matter how tight you are up on him, he just finds a way to, to to hit shots and to kill you. Uh, There was a possession real early in that game where the Sydney Kings played really solid defense. And then there was a sort of fumble of the ball. And then Shay Ely, I think got to the ground maybe, and then flipped it to Chris Golding. And in that split second where, Literally a split second where you're not facing Chris Golding because you're looking at a, at a loose ball. The ball gets to him. He he gets it up and it's it's a three from the wing, and it's just it's those sorts of plays that just kill you. He, uh, Luke Travis crashing the offensive glass, finding the the kick out to Chris Golding. Like these are the the sorts of shots that kill you because you think you do such a good job with your initial defense, and then Chris Golding is just there and he's able to take advantage on the the tiniest mistake that you can make. And the thing I said last week that why I thought that Joe Chua Jr he has more of a case for MVP or at least there's more potential for him to be MVP was because of his sort of imposition the, like the imposing way he can play basketball I, I I was I was wrong um in in the sense that Chris Golding can absolutely do that uh and what we've seen especially recently and we, we we know this from Golding but I sort of it maybe just glossed over me the way he's able to impose himself on basketball games is is unbelievably impressive and or, like the only thing that that may take an MVP away from golding this season uh is obviously if he stops shooting well which i doubt but if if everyone around him just comes back and the the production just drops in a in a significant way but i think his ability to just be a chameleon and to turn into whatever his team needs him to be and he does that in an elite way uh i think that makes him just in technically the the most valuable player on that melbourne united team and so right now i think he's the the front runner best player on the best team in the league and he's exactly what that team needs him to be night in and night out it's it's unbelievable it's he's the most he's so much fun to watch and i'm i'm glad i get to do it he's 35 but i'm glad that forever for however long he continues to play i'm glad that we get to watch chris golden play basketball yeah
0: and it's also just fun that he is a villain. And I did my yeah. N- N- NBL MVP rankings last week, and I had him third, actually. And you know, I reflect on that. Maybe third wasn't high enough. But yeah, you know, we discussed the idea. Would he be an MVP finalist last week? I said he probably won't. And I think part of it is that I don't think, I don't think that he does get the respect universally that he should get. And I think part of it is the fact that he is, is a villain, which which makes him yeah. more fun. It makes it more fun to watch. And I had that down in my notes. I'm glad you mentioned those two threes. So if you're playing against Melbourne, what's the one thing you can't let happen? You can't let Chris Golding get loose. But sometimes stuff happens and his first two threes came off an offensive rebound that he pointed to and then that ball went it was pinging around and he gets it. And you just don't get second chances when it comes to Chris Golding. So his last four games, 28.5 points per game. And he's making over six triples per game over the last <laughs> four. It's been just absolutely absurd. Uh, that game was awesome. To me, when you sit down and every weekend you pick the games that you want to watch and you hope that they live up to the hype, we've seen a back-to-back weekends with awesome games with Melbourne and Sydney. They're the pinnacle right now of the NBL. They're so much fun to watch. And we're going to talk more about Melbourne and Sydney on The Jump this Thursday night, 6.30 p.m., because I am fascinated to ask Andrew Gaze where Chris Golding sits among the all-time greats. Now, he hasn't really been in that conversation going... Uh, past but you know for Melbourne he's been doing it for such a long way so that's a conversation I want to have make sure you check out the jump on ESPN 6 30 p.m Thursday night Uh, what about teams that are struggling a little bit New Zealand Uh, where do you sit with the breakers because there's been a lot of things in my opinion that have gone against this team you know we discussed the NBA tour I've been out on that for a while on teams that want to contend in the NBL I think it puts you behind the eight ball uh, the health stuff has just been outrageous for this team they haven't been able to stay healthy with key personnel uh, certainly a talented roster I know you were high on them but at this point in time three and seven I don't know given that there's still going to be absences for key players I don't know there's any way out of this you know you lose a game to Ilawarra 69-65 um, that's a low point point.
1: It. I, and I felt you felt good for New Zealand just because they're going through all this adversity and so when they beat Tassie earlier in the round that in Tassie, that's a great win, right? That's a Mm -hmm. really impressive win to get. And then you lose to Illawarra at home and that just cancels that win. And so that was, this was a very frustrating weekend and losing these guys, I think they lost Zylan Cheatham on the first night of a back-to-back, I say back-to-back, the first game of a two-game round. Um, And they lost William White in the first game of a two-game round as well. And so you don't even have like a week of practice to to sort stuff out either you just have to figure out what to do and and just and just go with it right you figure stuff out on the fly um this team the, the NBA stuff uh is is bad I think we've seen it with New Zealand we've seen it with the Cairns Taipans you, you're just behind the eight ball and in a league like a league with 10 teams where every practically everyone is competitive it is very difficult to to just cough up some games because you decide to go play some NBA preseason games Right? So if you're a team that actually cares about winning NBL basketball games, that is not a trip that you want to go on. Uh, I think the, the Breakers were the most adversely affected team by the World Cup as well, uh, just by so many of their guys having to be uh, part of the New Zealand Tallbacks training camp. And so they weren't able to have their full team together. And then it's the injuries. Then it's, it's William McDowell-White suffering that hand injury. Uh, earlier on in in the preseason, it's Justinian Jessup being ruled out. Practic- I think for the season with his hip injury, and then having to bring guys in. The Zaylan Cheatham one was the was arguably the biggest blow. He was probably going to be their most talented player, um, and so he's he's a team that is is talented, but he's lacking in certain areas that they don't have the the spots to fill, and and so it just means they fall behind. I thought that I still think the talent is there to keep their head above water until these guys get back. Um, but I do fear that they are lacking in certain spots and that comes down to roster construction too. Um, I think the, what they've done with their, with the five spot leaning into Mango, Matt Yang and Dane Pino is their only straight up fives. I think that was a mistake. And I think that they're learning that now with how ineffectively they've been defensively. Um, and so, yeah, these, these are the things that I think are going to have them struggle to keep their head above water, but I think with the scoring that they have in Parker Jackson, Carl Wright in Anthony Lamb, like there's potential for them to to hang around, but if they don't figure some stuff out defensively, I don't, it's tough to see them by Christmas when Cheatham and McDowell White hopefully come back being any, any, like in any sort of place where they can make the top six.
0: Regular listeners of the podcast will know that I keep referencing this number in terms of teams potentially trying to make the play in. Now, maybe this season will be a little bit different because as it currently stands, you've got Brisbane in that sixth uh, sixth spot and they're only five and seven. So they're actually below 500. So we've seen teams that we think, okay, they're now starting to take some steps. Then they stumble. Brisbane's been a part of that. Canter's been in this weird situation. Adelaide, we might get to in a little bit here. So maybe the door is still open for New Zealand. But again, last year, 15 and 13 wasn't enough to get there for the breakers. They would have to finish 12 and 6th given that they're going to miss those key personnel over the next three, four weeks, I just don't see that. Uh, so we'll see where New Zealand goes. The last point I had on the break is, and you mentioned Mango Madiangam, I'm not signaling in our one player here. But I do wonder, and this goes right across the league, so it's more of a, a broad uh, you know question on the league rather than specific to New Zealand in this uh, particular instance here. But they're the ninth-ranked defense this year, and I think a lot of that has just been no continuity. So I think that that actually does make some sense. But coming into the season, they looked very small to me, and that, that was just a major concern, and I didn't think that they were going to be able to compete like they did last year. And I just wonder, last year they had Brantley and Derek Pardon, And I know there's all this stuff. You asked Modi Mayor about the press release and all this kind of stuff about their roster. But when you have two guys that could that are either were all NBL or could potentially be NBA talents or could be MVP caliber type players in the NBL, don't overlook that when you're changing your roster. Because that mm. New Zealand team last year was so unique. Because I can sit here and say that New Zealand was undersized coming into this season, but they were undersized last year. Derek Parton's what, 6'8? And he was yeah. a dominant force on the glass. And I'll tell you what else he did really well. Now, Will McDowell-White hasn't been healthy this year, so I don't think it's a perfect comparison. But I'll tell you what else he did. He set the best screens in the league for Will McDowell-White to be a dominant force and Barry Brown. Now, those guys were awesome on their own, right? So I'm not saying it was all Derek Pardon, but that was a significant part of the half-court offense of this New Zealand team. And then as a six eight guy, he was dominant at the 5. And he just did everything you want from, uh, I say, role-playing big man. He was all NBL, so he's clearly a star. But they were the perfect complement for what this New Zealand team wanted to do. And I think sometimes you're just going to look at that and say, we can't
1: overlook this and think that you can just replace those guys. Yeah, and it wasn't just the screening for McDowell. It's also the rolling. McDowell doesn't have a roller. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think anyone on this team has a roller. Um, with McDowell injured, I think there's like one person who can handle the ball on this team, and that's Parker Jackson Cartwright. You speak about the size. There's no, there's, there's positional size like across, like up and down the roster. But I think not having a legitimate center is just is so detrimental to what they're trying to do defensively. Um, and it's it's a weird one because I think the reason why I'm not as high on Tasmania, for example, as you are is mm. because mm. I think they traded out a lot of their off, their, their defense for offense, right? And in yep. a league where in a league we know relies on a defense, if you want to do if you want to have any sort of late playoff push. Swapping out defense for offense makes no sense. Right? You know the the formula to, to being a playoff team is to play really good B. And so that that would confuse me. And that's it's a similar thing here, where you've effectively swapped out you've swapped out Jerome Brantley and Derek Pardon for at least on paper, Anthony Lamb and Mango Matching. And defensively they're not the same. Defensively you had two of the most imposing figures in the league. Uh, Anthony Lamb can be solid. Mago Maciang is not. And so they're just, they're in a place where even when they do get all their guys back, uh, there is, there is hope because of what Zylan Cheatham can do playing the five, but that's just a lot of pressure and a lot of hope thrown onto one guy. Um, If that, if he can play the five consistently and effectively, then awesome. Then I think they can do something if they come back, but, when you mentioned what was that number again so what, what was the the number that a team probably has to get to to be a playoff team
0: well i think to get to the playing, you're probably gonna have to be 500 so 14
1: and 14 last year the number was 15 and 13. okay there's there's probably there's more parity this season and like all these teams are beating each other so let's say it is i 14. think 500 is yeah. a benchmark yeah 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 so so if i'm looking at that and then so in that case New Zealand would have to go. God, what is its Number eleven and seven the rest of the way. Yeah, am I saying that right? Eleven and seven, like that's eleven hard and seven. To do. Is, so, so to put that into context, like the South East Northern Phoenix. So, I think most people would agree have, have had like a fairly decent season so far. They're six and six, so that means that in in that world, the the New Zealand break oh, just. The fact that they've been decent and they've got to six and six tells us that it's just so difficult to go 14 and seven, right? It's just to to get that many more wins. You have to be not just decent like some of these teams are, you have to be outstanding. And so the New England Breakers have to get from where they are right now, which is the second worst team in the league, at least ladder-wise, one of the worst defenses. They They don't need to just become one of those good teams where you're hovering around 500. They need to play like a top two team and that's very and I think I think that's what their ceiling is, but I don't know if there's enough time for them to reach it. They just couldn't afford, given the
0: position they're in stand-ins wise, they could not afford to drop games like that game to Illawarra where you score 65 points. Like they they are not in a position where they can lose those games because you're gonna to play too many good teams in this league where you're not gonna be afforded the luxury where we sit back and say that's got to be a win. You, you just got to take care of business.
1: They lost at home to Brisbane early in the season yep. and they lost at home to Adelaide, right? These are two games you can't lose, right? Especially when you're in this precarious situation, like you said, they, like those are the ones that those should be scheduled wins for you because if you want to stay around the pack, you've got to pick up those sorts of wins. So that's, it's it's, it's looking real rough for this team and, and for them, like the the one player who couldn't get injured was Zylan Cheatham because he was not just you probably you're going to be your most productive player and efficient player, but he was also going to be your insurance for in, in, in the likely chance that your big situation wasn't going to work. Uh, and that's what happened. He got injured and they just, they had to play Dave Pino 20 minutes the other night because mango matching was effectively unplayable. Like you, it's they're, they're just in, they're in a tough situation. I, I, again, I, I, I can see what what it is on paper. Whether they can actually get to that point feels really difficult right now.
0: One thing we really like on this podcast is feedback, and I would say the New Zealand Breakers fans. I scroll through Twitter and I see that they're very vocal, they're very active, and they're certainly great support for this team. So uh, let us know, Breakers fans, how are you feel, and we'll tweet out this show. Hit uh, Olga and myself up because. I'm curious to get a temperature check from the fan base about how things have gone this year. Is it just bad luck or was the team constructed in a poor way based on last year? Let us know how you're feeling. And same goes for every uh, fan base around the league, particularly Melbourne and Sydney. There's a nice rivalry there and plenty of representation on social media. So let us know uh, what you're thinking. Now, if we are talking about teams that are winning games, I would say one of the clubs in the NBL that is really on a bit of a streak would be the Perth Wildcats. And... If I I go through scenarios, and one thing we both don't mind doing on this podcast is bringing up things when we did not see it coming or we were wrong. And I was thinking about this with teams in the league so far. And the last time we podcasted in the studio together was when the Perth Wildcats were at the peak of just a downfall and they looked awful. They did not look like a team that wanted to play together. And we discussed the idea, is there any coming back from this? And what do they need to do? And how can they turn this around? We discussed rotations. What guys can you bring into the lineup? Can Bryce Cotton get out of the funk that he's been in? Well, all of this stuff has happened. They've changed the lineups. Bryce Cotton has been on an absolute tear. He's averaging Chris Goldie numbers over that five-game win streak. He's around 28 points per game. And it's just been going ballistic. And they've started certainly by the numbers basis. The defense has been better. Now, they've played some of the worst offenses in the league, so I'm not sure whether it's too indicative of what is actually going on. But when you say, well, the Perth Wildcats weren't playing together, I think that when I looked at the starting lineup that they had, it was super talented, but you didn't really have any of those glue guys that we've got to know with the Perth Wildcats. You didn't have guys that were willing to do the dirty work. We discussed Luke Travis. He's gone. Mitch Norton, who's done great stuff with Brisbane so far this season, he was gone. Jesse Wagstaff wasn't in the rotation, so he wasn't a part of what they were doing. They just had five kind of talented guys out there on the floor just running around. So when you look at the guys from the advanced perspective that have been positives for this team this year, Doolittle, because mm. he was recruited to be that type of player. Wagstaff has been a positive. And Hiram Harris has been a major positive for this Perth Wildcats team. So what have you actually seen? Because I'm not sure what to believe in the numbers just yet with the defensive stuff. I don't know whether Bryce he is a legendary figure, but can he keep playing to this absolute level week in, week out? I, I don't know. Like He's going to have nights where he's not dropping 35 points. But what have you seen for the Wildcats? Because to me, when John really mentioned the word togetherness with this team last week, I, I was like, well, that's not what I thought about the Perth Wildcats a few weeks ago but now they've got guys in the lineup that are willing to do the dirty work.
1: The the thing I find interesting about those guys in particular, uh, Hiram Harris and Jesse Wagstaff is that these were the last two signings on this roster. Uh, these were yeah. the two like Hiram Harris was, yeah, we'll, we'll bring in Hiram Harris. Cool. And Jesse Wagstaff was, yeah, like one more year, little farewell year for Jesse Wagstaff, right? These guys, I don't think were brought in to be impact players. At least that was the expectation from this team. It was just, these are two cool little players to have a, at the end of a, a roster, and that's great. And it turns out that to win NBL games, you need these sorts of guys. Uh, whether it's the the Jesse Wags stuff we've seen over the course of his career, whether it's you know the Greg Hayer type, like these these players are unbelievably important to have. Um, and it seems like they, I don't want to say they fell into it, but they I think they realized like they probably looked at the numbers and the numbers dictated that these guys should be on the floor or. or your, your more talented players are way more effective when these guys are on the floor. And so credit to John really and that coaching staff for yeah. not just inserting guys like Hiram Harris and Jesse Wax up more consistently, but also leaning into them a whole lot more and making them more involved. And when you do that, they're, they're the guys who are, are going to crash the glass and get you second opportunities. They're the guys who who are going to sort of be the glue guys defensively too. Uh, Christian Doolittle has been unbelievable. He's played his... He's, he's been amazing in his role uh again sliding him down to the three has been really good for this team both defensively where in this winning streak that I think they're the best defense in the league um at least over that stretch and I think rebounding wise which was an issue for them too now I am reticent to say that they're back uh, as in I don't they're, they're not at the level of Melbourne I don't think they're at the level of Sydney uh I there may be at the level of Tasmania, but I'm not really sure. The, this winning streak, while I don't want to take anything away from them because they have figured a lot of stuff out, and it, it's stuff that I think is going to carry them to a, a play-in spot, it, it, I don't know how many quality wins are in this five-game winning streak. So if you start from, it, it's it's a home win over Adelaide. It's a win over Melbourne, who I would I would consider that as a quality win. Granted, yeah. that was the, the game I'm where right. Travers on the road in Melbourne, and that, but that was the game where Luke Travers uh, got concussed in the first minute, Ariel Hart-Porty was all of a sudden limited because of that as well, and Ian Clark then had to sit out three quarters of that game, and so that was an underman Melbourne team, but I would consider that a quality win because we've seen how an underman Melbourne team can still uh, beat you, right? Um, but then it was a home win against New Zealand, a home win against Cairns, and then going on the road to a Brisbane team, that's uh, missing Shannon Scott, right? And so I don't know how many quality wins are in this, but in the same token in the way we speak about New Zealand and how important it is to pick up those wins you're supposed to win, the sign of a good team is that you do win the games you're supposed to win. Um, And so they've been able to do that. Whether they figured out enough, they figured out a lot of stuff, whether they figured out enough to be one of those top-tier teams, I don't think so. I still think there is a a talent deficiency there with regard to what, Ty Webster is, what Jordan Usher is, um, and just the overall depth of this team. I don't really see it, but they figured some stuff out. And, and if if you have Bryce Cotton, you can, you're always in games and you can always find ways to win, uh, even though his efficiency hasn't been amazing. I, I still think with, with Bryce and what they have figured out, they're going to be in games. Whether they have the talent and the depth to really push those top tier teams consistently, that's that's the big question I have.
0: I agree. I've got them on the outside yet, just because we haven't seen any proof. But when you talk about this FIBA break, and there's going to be some teams that think this is the most ill timed break of all time. We don't want to see this. I highly doubt the Wildcats want to have two weeks off right now. They've won five games Mm -hmm. in a row. But what they do get on the other side of the break is the Sydney Kings. And you're at home, so that's a great test. If they come out and they're still doing the things we're talking about rebounding because i love that you mentioned the rebounding because we can talk about bryce we can talk about all these different factors in the first seven games where they were two and five they were the worst rebounding team in the league in terms of defensive rebounding percentage it was around 67 percent very low just atrocious yeah. and they were terrible last year on the glass as well uh, over the last five games they've actually been the best rebounding team in the league by defensive rebounding percentage and it's jumped from 67% to 75% which is a very high number and so all of a sudden I think it is the personnel that's changed and while we can look at the defense and say well they've played some poor offensive teams so maybe that doesn't mean so much even in the winning streak they've been ninth in the league for true shooting percentage so yes Bryce has been on fire um, but there has to be scope for some shooting improvement as well from this team moving forward you would like to think If you're going to try and make the postseason, you don't want to be a team that's languishing that far down offensively. So there's still uh, room to improve, and we'll see how they come out of the fever break. But no question, uh, if you're a Perth Wildcats fan, you're probably feeling better than you were uh, two and a half weeks ago or three weeks ago when this team was really struggling. Uh, Have we got time for one more team tonight? Is there anything else on your mind? I know we discussed Adelaide in the headline or storyline. Is there any other notes... Or news you need to bring to the table here. We've been going a while, but it has been—it was just another really fun week of NBL.
1: Yeah, so I don't know if we have to go deep into some stuff, but I guess, and I'll throw this to you as well. But like some stuff that I'm sort of tracking and just keeping an eye on is wondering how sustainable things are. Uh, This Brisbane Bullets end of game situation uh, Mm. is is annoying me. Uh, I think it's a lot of Nathan Sobey trying to play hero ball. It's a lot of playing like five or six guys throughout the entire fourth quarter. And so guys are just gassed at the end of games. Shannon Scott will come in and help that. But I, I think that's become a consistent issue. Uh, I think there has to be some leash given to some of their bench guys at some point in that fourth quarter, just to take the load off of Nathan Sobey. And then I think they have to continue playing the way that they have throughout higher games. Cause they look fairly decent offensively throughout most games. And then they get into the fourth quarter and all of a sudden the ball just sticks. So that's something that I'm looking at seeing if, if that's a thing that they can sort of amend, uh, this Cairns-Typans starting lineup that has uh, Taron Armstrong, Pat Miller, and Taji McCall in it, I- I'd never want to see that. Um, I don't think the shooting is there for that to be an effective offensive lineup. Kansas is the worst offense in the league. And I sort of put it down to the fact that they hadn't had their point, gu- their ball carriers, their point guards healthy. But now they're all healthy, and Adam decide to play them all together. Now, I-, I wonder how sustainable that is. I wonder if that's a long-term thing that he's looking at. Uh, but I just don't see a world where you can play effectively three non shooters at the same time in a starting lineup and be an effective offensive basketball team. Um, and then that's really that's really all I've got. Tazzy I don't I don't want to just go up and down the roster, but but Tazzy's the other team where again, I, the reason I'm not as, as high on them as other teams, and they had a really cool win against Cairns and that was an awesome game winner from Jack McBay is just because I just don't trust what they do defensively. Uh, and they, they showed it against, I think, New Zealand, where New Zealand basically targeted Majuk Deng night, the whole night, which was hilarious. But I think New Zealand sort of found them out defensively. And I th- and New- and Tassie just hasn't been great as a defensive team this entire season. And so they've had some, some spurts where they've been okay, but I think unless they fix that up, then I, I can't see them being one of those top-tier teams like some people. Think they are. Some people. So Tassie,
0: yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm still, I'm, I'm still very strong on the Tassie train. Uh, now I will say that there's no question. I'm with you, and you know that. I mean, we look. You can say whatever you want about the defense, but we're only going based on over a decade of history. That if you aren't one of those top three defensive teams, chances are you're not going to be in the grand final series. So that that's just the facts. Like that's that's what this league has told us over a long period of time. The one thing I would say, and this is someone who is a numbers guy. I'm a stats guy. Everyone listens to this show. We discuss it all the time. We bounce back and forth on stats and advanced stats and all those types of things. As he right now, defensively, they have improved over the last few weeks. Even though if you, if you watch and the eye test will tell you that, yeah, there's guys that can be picked on. I think there's limitations if you are starting a point guard who is great offensively but he's very small I I think that there's just automatically some limitations there on the perimeter Um, but this Tassie team right now and this is why when the NBL is only a 28 game season and the numbers bounce around so much that things can change pretty quickly and that's why sometimes it's hard to just lean on the history and say well this is what the numbers say so you better do this but Tassie are within they are within two points per 100 possessions defensively of being a top four defense and I know for a fact, if they got into that top four, I'd be saying, oh, as I told you that Tassie Jack Tumbers <laughs> would come in defensively. So I just think it's worth noting that all these teams around that, Sydney Kings right now are fifth defensively in defensive efficiency. Now we They've think been bad lately. Yeah, but we think they're better than that. So I just think, yes, I agree with you. And I'm watching it. I'm seeing the same things. And I, I think it continues to be a question mark for Tassie. But I also think that it can—they are they are closer than you think. And this is a weird NBL this year, and yeah. and I, I do think that there are a number of teams, really outside of Melbourne, where you look at the defense and say that there are questions.
1: Yeah, and and I'll say this as well, and I agree that it's the numbers are, are kind of noisy right now, and especially in the middle of the pack. Um, I don't know if the personnel is there for their defense to consistently track upwards. Yeah. Um, but if it is able to do that, if Scott Roth is able. To to rally these guys and and look like a jack Jumpers team of old, I say of old of like the past two seasons. Uh, then I'm I'm surprised that their offense has been able to track unbelievably well throughout this entire season as well. I thought they would I thought there'd be a drop off there. I thought I thought Sydney would take over. I thought I thought it would they would just revert to the to the mean. It hasn't done that. And so if they're able to to fix some of their issues defensively, they're the best offensive team in the league right now. So I'm yeah. That's that's when I can jump on the Tassie train. Until they do that, then I'm I'm sitting here looking at a a, a middle of the pack team.
0: I understand fully, and I disagree fully. So let's finish this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> let's finish this podcast on this note. So I am still, as of what's the date, November twenty one. As of November twenty one, I'm still saying that it is a three team race for the title melbourne sydney tasmania are you down to two or are you down to one
1: um i've got two okay i'm a i'm a two team yeah there are two teams here right now respect that yeah yeah i think i, I think there, i think there would be a lot of people that would agree
0: with you there i think that's that might be the logical take
1: and i'm tempted to say as one and one as in like there's one team, there is another team, and then there's the rest. But yeah. I believe I believe in Sydney's ceiling enough that they're up there too.
0: All right. Let's put a cap on this podcast. So, Adelaide 36ers fans, I know we haven't spoke about you a lot over the last few weeks, but next week, uh, due to the FIBA break, we're going to have a little bit more time to maybe talk big picture about some of the teams we haven't got into a lot. And I think we're also going to get into the NBA because we're really sinking our teeth into the regular season there. And hey, in season tournament, baby, we are getting to the real (laughs) nutcracking time when it comes to the IST. So we're going to see where we're at there with our Aussies, (laughs) and are they going to be going to Vegas and bringing home the NBA Cup? I'm all in on the on the in season tournament. Not to start another topic,
1: but I love. I am highly engaged. Uh, There's, there's, yeah, it's a thing that's happening. Yep, that's that's their courts. There are some chords that, co- that are that are that are colourful and stuff. I get you. No, it's been it's been That's a really cool point. it's a really cool thing. I could I could we got we got to wrap up, but I could I could talk about in season tournament and and what it is for the hours. Let's do it next week because I think the group stage will be in a better spot. We have got two more
0: game nights. We got Tuesday night. We got Friday night uh, NBA in season tournament. So we'll get to it there and hey. I'm a simple guy. You put some colors on the courts and I'm highly <laughs> entertained. You know, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying I'm a s- sophisticated being. I am mean, a very simple guy. <laughs> but we're going to break it down next week. Big picture NBL. And also a deeper look at the NBA this week. Make sure you check out ESPN.com.au for everything you need to see. Headline and storyline already up there. Our Olds notebook coming up later in the week. As for the TV programs, Thursday night, 6.30 p.m. On ESPN, The Jump. Andrew Gase, Trevor Gleason, Olga Nulic. I'll be around. And it is a fun program. We're we're diving back in. Season 3. We're underway. Thursday nights. The Jump. Make sure you check it out. Let's leave it there. This has been a long podcast, but a fun podcast for Kane Pippen and Olga We'll be back next week.